Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com A warm welcome to Whitehall Sources. We are about to bring you inside analysis on UK politics in association with The Resident. Did you know that the resident Covent Garden is the number one rated hotel on TripAdvisor out of nearly 1,200 options in London? Now, opinion pollsters would tell you that that sample size is enough to convince you to lend resident hotels your support the next time you elect to stay in London or Liverpool. Thanks for being here. Whitehall Sources starts now. and call a general election. Our mandate is based on a manifesto that we were elected on. A mandate that says we want a stronger NHS, better schools, safer streets, control of our borders and levelling up. Welcome to Whitehall Sources. I'm Callum MacDonald with Kirsty Buchanan, former advisor to Theresa May at number 10, and Liz Truss. Also, Oscar Redrop, former advisor to Prime Minister Boris Johnson. This week, as we take you behind the door of number 10 Downing Street, the new Prime Minister Rishi Sunak appoints his cabinet. And it's not without controversy, as Suella Braverman returns to Home Secretary. He has his first PMQs, he's challenged on his mandate to general election and that appointment of the Home Secretary by the Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer. Also on this episode, we will bring you the art of a reshuffle. Kirsty and Oscar describe what it's like to be there when the Cabinet is being chosen. They'll bring you stories of the trauma involved, the managing of eagles from left, right and centre, I don't mean politically, and what to do when an MP stages something of a sit-in to protest at their proposed movement in government. I kid you not. Uh, We'll bring you that before the end of the episode. We'll also open the doors to the correspondence unit once again on this episode, reading your comments and your emails, particularly on the latest viral sensation of Kirsty Buchanan's. Thank you so much for listening and for finding us. Follow and subscribe to this podcast please make sure you never miss an episode ever again pop us a little review in tell your friends we're looking to grow our sources that's 
you. Our sources, we're looking for more and more of you. You're all welcome. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones, enjoy the commute, or maybe doze off as you listen to Whitehall sources. And not in a bad way, make your own jokes, it's fine. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on TikTok and YouTube for extra clips and to get in touch as well. Or you can email us anytime. The inbox is always open. Hello at whitehallsources.com is the email address. Drop us an email with your analysis, your commentary, your take, and we will welcome you into the correspondence unit next time as well. Welcome to Whitehall Sources. I feel like we should start with a, a, what is becoming a new tradition, which is um, working out what other media appearances you've all been doing in the last few days? Because we had Kirsty in the Sunday Times last weekend. I mean, this is this is of your own volition. This is you know we're, we're not claiming this, but it's just quite fun. And Oscar, well, Oscar, you you were ended up on on talk TV. Did you have to do a lie detector test on the Jeremy Kyle show, or were you okay? <laughs> I I I really <laughs> really wanted to do that joke. And I, I, I kind of, in my head, you know, I remember when I actually told my mum and dad, they were like, oh, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, I'm going on the Jeremy Kyle show. And they're not, you know, particularly, they're not in the game, obviously, and in the world. And I think for a, a few seconds, they were really concerned that some Ill- illegitimate child was about to... <laughs> I had to explain to them, no, it, it's, it's a, he does politics now. I know it's a bit weird, he, you know, but... Uh, yeah, no, it was good. Um, I was on with a... She was really lovely in the green room, uh, a Corbyn spad. And then as soon as the, 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 light, the studio lights went up and the camera started rolling, uh, became a little bit less, <laughs> a little bit less nice. Oh no. But that's okay. It's all good fun. A good, yes, exactly. A good political back and forth. Exactly. That's nice. Well, it's good. So th- basically, this is a way of saying, if you've not subscribed to the podcast, you're not following the podcast... Actually, you might be encountering Kirsty and Oscar elsewhere and then coming to the podcast as a result, which is lovely. Welcome. Press follow, press subscribe. Um, have you been on the radio or the telly, Kirsty? Do we want to brag about you being very showbiz in Hollywood? Well, no. I hate to disappoint you, but I've been quite low-key for the last few days. I've, I, I do have a uh, actual day job with the brilliant oh, yes. global consultancy firm Stonehaven, and I've been there. Uh, actually getting on with my job oh imagine that gosh we keep distracting <laughs> you by doing things like this i suppose um i was you on did the... go pretty viral as well so you probably needed a, a week off kirsty <laughs> well you see that but kirsty <laughs> is now friend of the gen z's on tiktok because your latest clip the comments from which we will read in the correspondence unit in a few minutes is on one hundred and fifty thousand views on tiktok at wow. the time of recording do you know what? I now have a kind of secret ambition that I become such a kind of low-rent TikTok star that I can put myself forward for Strictly Come Dancing and lose loads of weight, you know. I'm just... Uh, I'm, this, this is my new life goal. It's, well, it's great, you know. I just... I, yeah, I don't know. Kirsty is a... I've put clips of us on there, Oscar, but and they're getting a few thousand views, and that's fine, but Kirsty Buchanan no, is just, a TikTok star, so... Just don't have the cut through. No. And the Tories, Kirsty, would kill for those numbers at the next election. <laughs> <laughs> my my uh my friends keep on saying to me my son saw you on tiktok the other night I love it. in a sort of like how disturbing was that kind of way <laughs> i absolutely love it that one incidentally it was a really like nice clip it was you talking about rishi sunak um did, he, when he said to you that he didn't want to have his name in the media he just wanted to do his job um and that clip people have people are really into it a rare and many splendid thing. Well, yes, exactly. And you know what? Well, what I like about it is, despite the fact some of the comments are a little bit like, oh, Rishi Sunak's too rich to be prime minister and classic things like that. 
actually, it's like, it's a positive clip. Do you know what? It's quite a nice, it's not a sort of, it's not a political argy-bargy. It's none of that. It's actually, this person is, you know, in as as you met him, was nice. He wanted to get on with the job, etc. And I just think that's quite nice. It goes to show that you don't have to be shouty-shouty angry to kind of cut through, basically, which I think is quite yeah. reassuring. It comes back to the point about the media. You know, people want to know what's going on, not just what's going wrong all the time. Yeah. Um, I was on the radio this morning. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. I was doing the breakfast programme on Times Radio this morning. Spoke to um, Nadim Zahawi this morning, um, who... He couldn't help but feel every time he mentioned that he was Minister Without Portfolio, he was slightly grudging of the fact that he's had several other uh, cabinet positions in the last couple of months. And now he has, I mean, by anyone's measure, been demoted um, from Chancellor, from, you know, whatever else he's been in the last few months. So I spoke to him. And actually, a lot of the things that we'll talk about today are the kind of topics that have been floating around since Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister. So on today's podcast... We are going to open the doors to the correspondence unit. We'll read some of your comments um, from our past couple of episodes, which have been all about Rishi Sunak taking over. Uh, so we'll analyse those for you in the next few minutes. And also we're going to discuss really how successful or otherwise the first couple of days of Rishi Sunak being Prime Minister has been. And of course, we're always looking for your input to the podcast. You are part of this. You are our sources. Um, while Kirsty and Oscar are your Whitehall sources, you are our sources across the country. Uh, Analyse what we're saying. Agree with us? Disagree with us? What is your take? What do you want to say? Email hello at whitehallsources.com uh, to be involved. We did, uh, Tom, I think, was it Tom that became our Worcestershire so source <laughs> the other day, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, so if you want to attach a location or indeed a trendy nickname, then feel free. Uh, and follow this podcast, subscribe to it wherever you're listening. And if you wouldn't mind telling your friends as well, then that'd be lovely. Because uh, the more the merrier on Whitehall Sources. Shall we begin with Suella Braverman, who is once again the Home Secretary, just a few days after not being the Home Secretary. Uh, I, I, I always think with these things, it's probably worth catching us up with where we're at. So, Kirsty, do you want to do that for us, just in terms of the Braverman saga so far? Yeah, so for those suffering from whiplash from all the <laughs> recent political events, uh, Suella Braverman was the Home Secretary... Uh, up until, I think, six or seven days ago when she was, uh, depending on who you listen to, uh, either fired or sacked following a blazing row with the then Prime Minister, uh, Liz Truss. And this centred around um, her sending documents out to another MP uh, and a what turned out to be a parliamentary staffer who she thought was uh, said MP's wife and it turned out to be um, another parliamentary staffer. Now, this is a breach of the ministerial code. In her resignation letter, Suella Braverman says, look, you know, I appreciate this is a breach. I will fall on my sword, as it were. Whereas, obviously, in Liz Truss's letter acknowledging her resignation, she implies that uh, Liz Truss kind of pushed her off the sword rather than Suella uh, bravely uh, skewering herself. So cuts to new prime minister and a reshuffle... Uh, in the interim, Soella did hold the record for being the shortest-serving Home Secretary of all time until Grant Chaps plugged the gap for about six days. Barely had he got the names of his private office down pat before reshuffle came along. Now, the reshuffle for the new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, needed to uh, balance diversity and uh, experience with unity. 
uh, I say this because this presumably is the rationale for then reaching across to the flag bearer of the party right, Suella Braverman, and putting her back in the Home Office, not, I have to say, to universal acclaim. Uh, therein started a, a, a very large brouhaha about, uh, about whether a man had stood on the steps of number 10 and said that, you know, he would restore trust and run a honest uh, government full of integrity, should really be reappointing someone so quickly who had breached the ministerial code and been forced to resign just six days earlier. And I think I'll stop there because that's enough for now. <laughs> I think that's a good, a good summary of where we're at with Braverman. And I'm just trying to, I think probably now is the time to let Oscar shine. Because on our previous episode, our Stop It and Roll It episode, we talked about the fact that Rishi Sunak had taken to the steps of Downing Street and mentioned those things, integrity and accountability, professionalism, all of that. And you might remember from our previous episode, if you listened, that this is what Oscar had to say. I do hope the integrity, and maybe I'm a, a result of a government... Uh, that got these things wrong, and that's why I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But I do think you set yourself up for a fall in politics when you try and go kind of cleaner than clean, whiter than white. Because inevitably, inevitably, because of just the, the pace of things these days and just how politics goes, there will be controversy. And there will be blots on the copybook. And if you set yourself that bar of, you know, the, the kind of, the, I'm a saint, I, you know, nothing will go you know, awry on my watch. And if it does, I will always respond, you know, purely and as, as I should. Sometimes things don't work out like that. And that really nearly got Keir Starmer on Beergate, for example. Uh, and I just wonder if there's a, a slight danger there in, in some ways. Oscar Reddrop, the prophet, everyone. <laughs> Do you feel like this is oh, what's happening? <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's a particular... I mean, the thing is, I think it's not a particularly intelligent point to make. I think it's quite simple. You know, we, we all know that it's impossible as a prime minister and as a government to go, you know, months, weeks even, and at the moment it feels like days without having a really tricky issue that you know in your heart of hearts is politically damaging. Um, they just come up. They just do. And I think if you set yourself the target and the brand as someone who is, you know, completely counter to all those, you know, political shenanigans and controversies that we all dislike about politics, it will come back to bite you in a way that if you almost absorb it and price it into a degree, which I think a lot of people would say Boris is very highly skilled at, it's, it's the whole Teflon thing comes to the fore. It doesn't make you quite as susceptible to it in a way because people... And it's a, grim, it's a grim reality of politics, and listeners to this might find what I'm saying hugely depressing, but I am just trying to be honest and real about it. Um, and so I think it presents this... The Suella thing's a real challenge for Rishi because politically, the difficulty is that she speaks for uh, a, you know, a lot of the electorate on things like immigration and policing. She speaks for a lot of the MPs on exactly those issues. She's very popular for that reason. And yet, the other political challenge now is how much do I hemorrhage by hanging on to her? I don't think, and I'd really like to get Kirsty's thoughts on this, I don't think it's quite at the stage of when we've talked about issues in the past where they just have a complete life of their own and it feels as though it's completely out of control 
and it's only ending one way. I don't think we're there yet, but I do think the blood is in the water. Well, <clears throat> I mean, uh, I uh, look, clearly they've appointed her knowing that they're going to get some incoming about it, right? They're not naive. They, they knew that this was going to create some turbulence, if you like. And clearly she's been appointed because you need to balance up you know, the, the, the party makeup around the cabinet table. I mean, I, I, we may have moved away from the pocket of trust turbulence and, you know, but, but the idea that we now sort of fly on smooth air rishi and there's no problems just ignores the sort of political reality that still the storms that still swirl around the government. And one of those it is an incredibly factional, difficult, borderline ungovernable party. So... You can understand why she was appointed. I think it's fair to say they knew that they were going to have to put their tin hats on. When something like this happens, and what they hadn't factored in, of course, is, you know, and Callum, I'd be interested in your take on, on what you thought of this as a line. Clearly, minister with said hospital pass goes out this morning <laughs> to say, well, everybody makes mistakes and she's apologised and, you know, move on, nothing to see here. Well... The reality was, was that I don't think what anybody had factored in was the outgoing Conservative chairman, Jake Berry, who uh, didn't survive what turned out to be quite an impactful reshuffle, went on a TV station last night and said, look, far from owning up to the mistake that she made in uh, sending this document first to her private email and then to an MP, even though it was a sensitive document, she was actually found out she was sort of brought to number 10 by the cabinet secretary who, Simon Case, who's like the number one civil servant in, the, in, in all of Whitehall, was said to be deeply unhappy by this breach, as are, by the way, quite a lot of the security services who've clearly been briefing to a lot of papers that, you know, she's, she is said to be, you know, a bit of a hand grenade in terms of her understanding of her role within national security issues and the fact that you simply can't do stuff like this. Mm. So rather than it actually being a, you know, I realised I made a mistake, I owned up, I'm sorry, actually she was kind of found out and fired is the is the counter-argument that Jake Berry said. And he actually used the words, there's been multiple pre breaches, security breaches. So he went out on TV last night, poured a load of petrol all over this story, which, which no one had factored into, which kind of makes what was a relatively thin line about, well, everybody makes mistakes and she's apologised, so to err yeah. is human and to forgive is divine and all of that. It makes it look weaker still. But, you know, uh, we are where we are, as they say. And, you know, what I would probably do right now if I was in number 10 and what I suspect they're probably doing is that you, you sit and wait and see how the story develops. There's no cause for panic yet mm -hmm. stories will do one of two things if you try and starve it out the fire will will die out because it's not getting oxygen so like i say the reason that jake berry's intervention was so difficult is he just poured a load of uh, more petrol on it and kept that fire burning you know hotter and longer than it might have done otherwise so uh, they'll wait and see if the if the fire dies out you know they'll hunker down put their tin hats on or They'll wait and see if the momentum that we feel around this story at the moment gathers a pace. And mm. right now, I think the, the, the key point to look at... Now, I was a, a Sunday journalist for years. I was a political editor on a National Sunday newspaper. Uh, and I worked uh, in number 10 
at one point I had the title of, you know, uh, press secretary for the weekend, which made me sound like I was in charge of partying or something. But um, <laughs> but actually it was all the kind of weekend coverage. Um, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, there's no parties at Downing Street that you'd need to manage. No, indeed in not. Oh. This, was, uh, uh, this predates uh, someone actually being in charge of parties at number 10. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> So I was in charge of all the Sunday coverage. And the interesting thing about Sundays is they either kind of act as a, a natural firebreak on a story. If if you don't open your Sunday papers and go, whoa, <laughs> then it tends to die out on the Monday because the Monday tends to just pick up and carry what it sees into the in, in the Sundays into the Monday, if you like. So it either fuels it, in which case, if this story is still raging by Monday, I suspect they've got a real problem on their hands, or it fire breaks it, and if number ten looks at the Sundays and goes, nah, there's not that much here, and nobody's really come out with any more kind of mm. torpedoes like Jake Berry, then I suspect this will burn itself out. But Oscar's right; it's caused a, a lot of uh, ill will um, around the party, and it just goes to show that you know this is not going to be an easy ride. This is a very fractional, dysfunctional party. I have to say as well, so, so two things on that. One, I was actually in the green room with Jake Berry before he went on last night, and uh, he he was he was very chipper. I have to say, I obviously he didn't discuss what was coming, but he he seemed in a very excitable, good mood, and I can kind of see why now. Um, <laughs> but also, and I know we obsess about the government because they are the government, um, and I know some of the comments uh, actually on a few of the, like the TikTok videos we got. You know, said, so, oh, you know, two ex-Tory spads, and you know, the slight kind of the, the potential bias that comes with that. What, j just to throw back, kind of boomerang on that a little bit. I have to say, what's really impressive about the Labour Party, you know, when we see you know Home Secretaries and the controversies around the government, uh, the Labour Party front bench, that shadow front bench, seemed relatively really well disciplined. And don't get me wrong, there'll be a team of people at CCHQ whose sole existence is digging around for uh, exactly the controversies that we have seen with the government over the last few months. And it doesn't seem like they can find a lot. And I think that's a really interesting contrast. And I think probably the Labour Party deserve quite a lot of credit for that. That's really interesting. I want to... Well, oh, can I just jump yeah, in? Look, Sakir yeah, Starmer deserves a lot of credit for that. He spent two long, yeah. very difficult years, you know, uh, purging that party of, you know, of the troublemakers and the extremists and the people that were, were making it unelectable and fashioning uh, a front bench of, of solid, good communicators and grown-ups uh, and dragging his party back to the centre ground. And the mm. result of that is even though there's been a slight uptick in the Conservative fortunes after... Rishi Sunak became the Prime Minister, Labour are still like a bajillion points ahead of the Conservatives. Um, and, you know, at the moment, if there was a general election, the Conservatives would be probably down to double digits mm. in terms of MPs. Mm. So, you know, that is the hurdle that, you know, Rishi has to sort of climb here with, you know, all the baggage, all the baggage that 12 years in government brings you and all the economic political headwinds that, you know, are already, as we said, sort of spilling out of his intrigue. Stay with us on Whitehall Sources. Lots more to come, including behind the scenes of cabinet reshuffles, the art of a reshuffle, and what is it like for the advisors you're hearing from, Kirsty and Oscar. That's still to come on Whitehall Sources. Whitehall Sources.
We are so glad to be here and we are so grateful for our wonderful sponsor. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with Resident Hotels. Their fantastic team of resident insiders are waiting for you at their ideal city centre locations in London and Liverpool. The locations are hand-picked. Insiders are specifically trained to give you all the info you could possibly need for your stay, including secret tips and tricks of the local neighbourhood. They sound a bit like sources, you might say. It's magic moments galore during your stay. And by the way, TripAdvisor backs us up on this. The Resident Hotel Liverpool is number one. Covent Garden in London is number one. Kensington, Soho and Victoria in London are all in the top 30. Here's what Nicholas says in his review. We found our room very spacious. The Nespresso machine and mini fridge was a lifesaver, as I really need my morning coffee with real milk to get going. The staff were very friendly and helpful. Sold. Click residenthotels.com to book your stay at one of the resident hotels, making Whitehall Sources possible. On the line that you mentioned this morning, which was the sort of the aftermath of, of the Jake Berry interview um, last night on Talk TV. So yes, it was Nadim Zahawi who was who was put uh, out to bat, um, which was fine. It was it's always good to speak to somebody when there is that kind of fresh progress, that fresh movement on a story like this. There was a couple of things I think. Yes, first of all, that he said he believed in second chances and that um, Rishi Sunak reappointing appointing for the first time in his government, but reappointing Suella Braverman as Home Secretary. Uh, you know, I believe in second chances. I believe in redemption. But there was an interesting, an interesting other little quirk to it, um, which was that something Jake Berry said about the order of things in terms of who knew what, when, and what sort of led to Suella Braverman standing down was actually different to what Rishi Sunak certainly seemed to say in the House of Commons during Prime Minister's questions. And so just to sort of put some context on that, um, uh, Rishi Sunak in the House of Commons at Prime Minister's Questions, when asked about this, said, and this is from Hansard, uh, asked about the Home Secretary, here we are, she made an error of judgment, but she recognised that she raised the matter and she accepted her mistake. And it's that she raised the matter that seemed to be a different to what Jake Berry had then said uh, during his interview. And that was something we put to Zahawi during our interview this morning. And what was notable was his his take, which he repeated a couple of times when I pressed him, um, was that Rishi Sunak would have looked at the details regarding her exit. Um, and I just thought that sort of looked at the details um, in terms of whether uh, uh, what Sunak knew and when and how he acted upon that. And then asked if, he had, if, if Rishi Sunak had potentially been misled about whether Suella Braverman had owned up to the breach or was caught out. That's the kind of two, that's the point of conflict here. Again, he said, the PM would have looked at what happened under the previous Prime Minister and considered that very carefully and would have made that decision. And so there's, there's, I mean, basically the point that we were guessing at was, has Rishi Sunak deliberately or inadvertently misled the House of Commons on his first appearance in the House of Commons as Prime Minister? I mean, it's just, it, it's just remarkable that you've even, uh, you've even said that, Callum, in a way. I mean, not, not because you're, you're wrong. No, it's I get you. I get kind you. kind of incredible that we potentially back in that place again and it's just always and I remember this very keenly of course it's always the timeline it's the timeline of things that you really have to get right from a I guess from a comms you know political comms perspective if you get the timeline wrong on things and you get caught out on that 
and the deck of cards really does does fall down. And is it difficult to get the timeline right? Because for those of us who might be looking in, you kind of go, well, hang on a second. Why would it not be really straightforward to just get this pinned down? But is that actually just not the reality? Is it difficult to, to get that nailed? I mean, I... <laughs> In an ideal world, in a removed world, yes. I think that sometimes politicians are charged with being deliberately deceptive on these things. And maybe I'm being too lax and, you know, feel free to call me out if I am. But because of the sheer pace of both the media and parliamentary timetable, sometimes just mistakes on timelines are just quite genuinely and honestly made. That doesn't mean that... <laughs> That, that, that's not a problem. It doesn't mm. excuse it. That still suggests incompetency. It still suggests perhaps not taking it seriously enough. Um, I mean, I know with the, the, the dynamics of the lobby, and for people who don't know what the lobby is, uh, to put it really simply, it's uh, every political journalist in Whitehall turns up and basically asks very, very difficult questions <laughs> and whatever the hell they like. Every single day this happens to the Prime Minister's uh, official spokesperson. And when that is looming over you and you might not have all your details together, all the timelines, and because the timelines infiltrate different departments and sometimes different governments and, and you know, all ty different types of t time periods, um, time lengths, and knowing that that lobby is coming, it can be very difficult. And at times I think, and I don't know if this is, again, I'd throw this back to Kirsty, that you actually just want to tell the media, go away. <laughs> And I don't mean that in a, in a silly way. I mean, I know. look, we understand that this issue... <laughs> to see Kirsty's reaction. We understand that this issue is potentially very difficult. We completely get why you're interested in it. We need to go away and really properly dig through the detail and present with you a timeline for who knew what when and, and, and absolutely rigidly hold us to account on that. Because if we take this time... Might take 24 hours, might take two days. And if we get this wrong at that point, after telling you just hold off while we get this right, stop baying at the, you know, baying for blood just for a few minutes, then, oh my God, you know, hang us out to dry. But we need that time. Well, look, for the, <clears throat> for the record, as a former lobby journalist myself, I bow to no one in my <laughs> love, respect, and admiration for His Majesty's press. So I would never dream of telling them to go away. Um, so just to clear that one up. Uh, look, there's a, there's, a, there's a process here, I, I would have thought. Now, I'm not in number 10 and I'm not claiming to know, but I would have thought, given Simon Case, the Cabinet Secretary's involvement in, uh, or apparent involvement, reported involvement in the original uh, discussions that led to Suella Braverman leaving government uh, a week ago, um, that he would have been involved in the reappointment and I would have thought that that would have had to have been signed off by Simon Case. Now, there is a world sometimes when uh, permsecs, who are like the number one civil servant in any department, in this case in the number 10, that's the Cabinet Secretary, are so upset about something that they will do it because it is their job to enact, but they will do it on what's known as a ministerial direction. <clears throat> which means basically it's a posh civil service way of saying I'm being forced to do this <laughs> and mm -hmm. I don't agree. Um, now, uh, I don't know if Labour has asked if there was a ministerial direction, but I'm fairly sure that 
a kind of minute-by-minute minute timeline of who said what to who when over the last week in regards both to Soella Braverman's departure from uh, government the first time round and her re-emergence in this reshuffle will be sort of picked apart probably in the papers tomorrow. Um, uh, and that would include Simon Case's uh, involvement in it. Now, you know, he's been reported as being furious about yeah, it. Exactly. I mean, it, that's kind of easy for someone to say. I think I'd want to just say, let's see how this shakes out before uh, we kind of rush to, to judgment on it. But there is a process, and I would have thought that for something that was going to be uh, a relatively controversial uh, appointment that his involvement would have been sought and a sign-off would have been required. Mm. It's interesting to hear that because, you know, the very the processes are something that can feel quite distant and unknowable, but actually, you know, you guys outlining it is so helpful because it, it helps us understand. I, the other report in the Times this morning was that now MI5 is in to brief Suella Braverman on what she can and cannot send from which email address to, to which place. And on one hand, that seems striking in that it is... Uh, you know, why are you having to educate this person? On the other hand, you you kind of this. If somebody's stepping into a role in this way, perhaps they just don't know what they should be doing. But it, it feels like because she's re-entering the role, perhaps there should have been some knowledge there in the first place, and also common sense. Well, look, I mean, I I worked as a, a, a both a spad and as a senior civil servant within Whitehall, um, it is clear that one of the things you don't do is, you know, cut and paste documents, no matter whether... There's a listing for documents in terms of their sensitivity. But even if they're kind of, you know, uh, Uncle Tom Cobbley and all sensitivity, that's obviously not a ranking. (laughs) An official phrase. Um, (laughs) Stop me if I get too technical. (laughs) You still wouldn't dream of cut and pasting them and sending to my Gmail account. I mean, it's just, it's it's a self-apparent kind of no-no. It's interesting to me in the in the sort of round that circulated around Braverman over the last couple of days. Now, the security services aren't prone to briefing newspapers, by and large, only usually when they think there's a spending review looming <laughs> and they might get a bit of a squeeze. Uh, but they're not a terribly uh, briefy organisation, by and large. I've been quite surprised by... Uh, some of the anonymous briefings that have been popping up there, which seem to suggest that uh, there, you know, there are concerns from some within the security services about Braverman's uh, approach to national security, uh, fairly or unfairly. Like I say, I'm not working in the Home Office, mm-hmm. I don't know, and I, uh, a couple of my own sources in 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 the Home Office are very complimentary about her. So, um, uh, so look, I don't know, but I have been surprised by how. Uh, how much they seem to be playing a part in in putting into this story? I, I, the, I yeah, that makes total sense, Kirsty. I, I also thought felt that oddly, although on the face of it, you know, the MI5 coming in to train the Home Secretary on what she can and cannot do feels alarming and very newsy. Mm. But at the same time, I kind of think it perhaps pours a little bit of cold water on it. Uh, from her, you know, in terms of like the imminent danger of her having to go, mm. may very well prove to be completely wrong on this. But because you can then kind of pose it as, and I guess Nadim Zahawi this morning got the ball rolling on it a bit. Mistake was made, action's now been taken, a la, you know, the MI5 doing this session with her, and we move on. Uh, so, so oddly, although it's quite alarming in the first instant when you hear it, uh, I, th- I think it could potentially 
be helpful for, for Sue Ella moving forward. And mm -hmm. just to Kirsty's point, you know, like she was, and I, I feel uh, almost a, an obligation to, to, to defend her in a way because it's very genuinely felt. And she was, I just thought she was brilliantly capable. I mean, a lot of people will find her politics on very contentious issues like immigration, uh, not to their liking, understandably. But just in of itself, I found her really articulate, really capable. Um, and so if these are quite genuine, honest mistakes in a new role, and she can, you know, with this training, and she can absolutely kind of get back to the, 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 the meat of stuff and, and back to the day job, I think she proved to be a hugely effective Home Secretary. And that's why I think Rishi is willing at this current moment in time to expend perhaps a little bit of political capital on her. Mm. There is a judgment to be, sorry, Cam, to, to butt not, in, not but there is, a, there is a judgment to be had here about how much political capital you want to expend on someone. Now, the obvious example of this is Boris Johnson, who uh, drained you know, a good amount of his political capital uh, down on defending Dom Cummings during the indefensible. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to equate those two at the moment. But, you know, the, the trip to Barnard Castle, the breaking of the COVID rules, you know, he was his most senior aide at the time. Uh, there were plenty of people, I suspect, and Oscar, you'd be able to tell me better, that were saying, cut him loose or he'll drag you down. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that, you know, that that wasn't the beginning of the end and his reputation never really fully recovered from that. But what it certainly did was drain an awful lot of the kind of goodwill of going, right, get out there and defend me, men, when, when other things started to surface. It also, if I can, it also set in, 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 in effect a pattern of behaviour and a strategy that seemed to then be deployed again and again and again, which is perhaps notable as well in that sort of, double down, defend, defend, and it, and that kept happening. And actually, so then your political capital, which may already have been uh, diminished in that context, you then go in with the same strategy and it keeps you keep chipping away at it just in different situations. Yeah, I, I think as well as, uh, Kirsty's absolutely right, the judgment on how much political capital you're willing to expend. There's also part of that is a judgment on cut through. Uh, and that completely informs, I think, uh, the judgment on how much political capital you're willing to expend. And I think the difference between the two is this still feels people down the pub aren't going to be talking about this issue. And I think that's something you always have to hold in your head um, <clears throat> at number 10. And I think as it transpired, obviously, with the Dom, Dom Cummings saga, that very much was something that people would be talking down the pub. Uh, I don't see this going that way at all. Well, we would have um, talked about it down the pub, Oscar, if we'd been allowed down the pub at the time. But, of course, we weren't. Good. But we talked of little else on Zoom. Very good. No, very true. I mean, God, that issue... I mean, I actually wasn't working at number 10 then. Um, Luckily. But I was working for an MP. Mm. And it was the... And, you know, I talk about quite a lot, Caseworker, which is the software that MPs use, that all uh, constituents' emails go into and they're kind of categorized by subject and the Dom Cummings saga, the inbox that I, I honestly can't. Did I, it have its own category, like off the chart, or, angry? Honestly, or? it was the biggest issue. I'm sure. Um, it was just insane. It was insane. Wow. Uh, nothing like it, actually. That's astonishing, isn't it? Gosh, that will live long in the memory. Uh, right, well, that's Suella Braverman. So I think in summary, it feels like 
It feels like it's got the potential to bubble over and, and continue to be problematic for Rishi Sunak. Perhaps at this point, it's a case of him and the government and the cabinet waiting it out to see if there is more to develop. Um, and until or unless more develops, actually there's a chance that Braverman can weather this particular storm, plough on, remain as Home Secretary for a little bit longer this time than she did the last time. Um, and actually he he kind of keeps his cabinet intact. I think that's where we've got to on Braverman. Does that feel that, about right? That's exactly right. Although, just to add one other thing, you know, if if the momentum does go out of this story, and I think you're 100% right, now is not the time to panic. Um, if the momentum does go out of the story, it, it does still drain some of the goodwill battery. Very good point. Yeah. Both I, for Braverman and for the Prime Minister. Your thoughts on that, very welcome, of course. You can email us, hello at whitehallsources.com. This is the sort of insight that we intend to provide once a week. <laughs> That's the plan. I keep saying it. This could be the week that happens where we don't have to do emergency add-in episodes. But what you should do is follow, subscribe, be part of this podcast so that if there's an emergency, uh, you will get this podcast right there and you will get Kirsty and Oscar's analysis in your feed. Uh, and if not, then next Thursday is the day. Uh, that's how it works. It's lovely to be here with you. Email anytime, hello at whitehallsources.com. Let's move on to the next part of the podcast this week, where I want to just understand the art of a reshuffle. I think that's something important to consider because it is such a big moment. Um, you know, this week I sat on the sofa just over there. I had a bottle of wine and was watching the, the reshuffle unfold. It was a great day for political nerds everywhere. Do you, does anybody else do that or is it just me that gets we the wine and chocolate? We all do it. We goes, all just goodness. sit there for hours and hours watching a door I and couldn't. occasionally... <laughs> Somebody bibbling up the street, smiling, and then bibbling out again. I mean, it's, it is the most nerdy the thing, and only, only ner political nerds do it, as far as I know. Gavin but, Williamson yeah. storming up the road. That was a highlight the other oh, night. Oh, I was just... Callum, you literally oh, really? took... That, that was, without a doubt, the <laughs> best ever entrance to... I'm back, babies! <laughs> it, just out the mist. It was it was just so poetic. It was. I thought he was taking his tarantula for a walk. He yeah, he he would have loved that as well. Or or the face on Penny Morden, who who clearly yeah. briefed and pitched for uh, foreign secretary and emerged with exactly the same job she had after overplaying her hand in the leadership contest. Oh, she made such an error, didn't I? Thought Kirsty, such an error. If she had just you know when, but basically around the time Boris did. Uh, if she had said, yeah, you know, this isn't going to happen, actually, ultimately, Rishi, it's yours, then she would have a top job now. Mm. Speaking of expending political capital, that that was something that I just, I didn't, I still don't, didn't get my head around. But in the aftermath of her not dropping out until two minutes before the deadline, I just, I didn't understand. That messaging from her campaign all morning on Monday morning was, we're going to make it, we're going to do it, it's going to be fine. Oh, well, so I mean, this is something we'll, we'll explore in, you know, David, uh, deeper depth when we when we talk more about the reshuffle. But the, the, the thing with reshuffles is, you know, uh, they're all starting from a premise of how much power do you have? And the first reshuffle you have as an incoming prime minister, it's been said quite a lot over the last couple of days, but it's true and bears repeating, you know, you never have more power than that first reshuffle. And given all the momentum was behind uh, Rishi in the leadership contest, I think given the fact that Penny could have pulled out in the in the name of unity and chose to take it to the wire. 
uh, I think, uh, and given the fact that some in her team were clearly briefing that she was going to get the foreign secretary's job, uh, I think that just caused a, a, a need to have a bit of a muscle flex by number 10 there and say, no, 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 you know, we are in charge and you will stay serving at the, you know, the mm. will of the Prime Minister as leader of the House of Commons. Gosh, what a week. Let's take it back to how a reshuffle starts. Now, clearly this is a, a slightly different circumstance in that it's a brand new Prime Minister, and so it's kind of the almost the first thing he does. But by, by how it starts, I mean, what do you do? do you, just take us into like the room where a reshuffle discussion begins in earnest. Is it a case, for so, example, of having pictures on the wall of who the current cabinet is and are? So quite fantastically, in that sort of brilliant kind of 19th century British democracy way, you know, you'd think you'd have some... I mean, you know, you look at Channel 4 during an election and you've got Jon Snow <laughs> zipping around with an interactive map and you've got <laughs> this and the, if I do this and the, all the benches go blue and the benches go red and it's all very high-tech... What do we have at the heart of government for a reshuffle? We have a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I, a I, disappointing. I kid you not. There, you know, there is a whiteboard and some sticky notes and some, you know, quite literally, you know, leader, foreign secretary, blah, 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 blah. And people put names and put sticky notes on it so you can move your sticky notes as, as discussions go on. Um, and then obviously it's a very tight, small circle of people that input into that. But feeding out from that, if you like, is a sort of slightly internal lobbying campaign where, you know, people, yeah. you know, wider, the wider net in Downing Street try and go, oh, well, I think blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, departmental people try and feed into. So it's kind of it spills out a bit. But in essence, there's a very small amount of people in the rooms, usually, you know, probably the prime minister, the chief whip. Uh, chief of staff, deputy, probably the party chairman, uh, they are in the driving seat of that and, and it's their decisions sort of first and foremost. Okay, that's how it starts. And so in terms of the kind of input and from where it goes from there, because this is a, it's a total chess game, isn't it? Because there's, a, there's an extent to which if you want somebody in one role and then they don't want it, then you have to move it. So at what point, Oscar, do you then like approach somebody and say, oh, we fancy you in, in this place? Well, as, as Kirsty rightly said, it is so tightly knit. And obviously the kind of the comms function, I think, are of, you know, number 10 are consulted on these things. Uh, and ultimately, as well as being consulted, they then have to go and <laughs> they then have to go sell it once the decisions have been made. But it is very tightly closed, but tightly held. But, the, you know, obviously the, the reshuffle that I was uh, around was when we talk about your, your most powerful, you know, with your first reshuffle, that was very much not the case with... <laughs> Uh, Boris's last reshuffle it was well his second to last reshuffle because then we formed a, a kind of a, 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 a some people called it zombie government in the media uh, across the summer but that was completely and utterly uh, traumatically difficult I would say because you have to remember and just, just to, I'll be really brief but just to rewind a little bit I remember a lot of people have been taking hits on the media around uh, Boris Johnson, and we then decided that Boris had to get in front of Chris Mason and front up the issues of the day. And we did the interview with Chris Mason. I go to the director of comms office. We sit back. <laughs> 
Kirsty made a little heart. I yeah. think it was for Chris Mason, wasn't it, Kirsty, that you were holding it up your heart? It was indeed, yeah. because we heart Chris Mason. <laughs> we do heart Chris Mason, <laughs> even in those very dark days. And we're watching the interview and we're going, yeah, this is going pretty well. And then across the bottom of the screen, Chancellor, Health Secretary both resigned from government. And at that moment, so it wasn't a planned reshuffle. It was just absolute panic stations. And the press secretary at the time, uh, was it was heroic watching what she did in, her, in terms of how she leapt into action. And actually the press function becomes very important then because we actually had to sell the idea. And it was actually, it wasn't really a hard sell. We, we genuinely felt this, didn't prove to be the case, that with Nadim Zahawi coming in as chancellor, and Steve Barkley going into health, we were actually in a better place than we were 24 hours previously. They were more akin to what we wanted to do as a government. But to your point, the initial question, Callum, mm. sorry for going on. No, no, it's, in, it's really interesting to get that. That's why we're here, is to get that insight. So no, don't worry. How that then all filters down in the game of chess to other departments and other, uh, and the MPs that feel loyal to those secretaries of state so it's kind of two levels of chess as well you're not just moving about the secretaries of state and ministers you're also moving about their loyalists and on the back benches and although we could sell it to ourselves we could almost sell it to the media we could not sell it to those back benches that we were in a stronger position from from that enforced reshuffle mm -hmm. Kirsty, what what reshuffle lives in your memory from your time in number 10 <laughs> <laughs> well i just i mean you know, just listening to to Oscar, uh, it's almost sweet to think about the botched reshuffles of old, of which there are <laughs> many. Because, I mean, I'm not entirely sure that you can call what happened at the end of the of the Boris days a reshuffle. It was just a sort of multiple bile-up, wasn't it? Um, uh, but yeah, so so just to go back to the to the process. So mm. you've got your whiteboard, you've got all your little sticky notes in the right place, and what have you. And then on the day, uh, what tends to happen is people who are going to be fired um, are invited to see the Prime Minister in his office in the House of Commons. So they don't, it's a courtesy thing. They don't have to have that kind of orcs walk up Downing Street, come out and go, what have you got? I've been fired. So, Parade you know, so past they, the media. But, precisely. And on days like that, there are hundreds, worth highlight, there are hundreds of journalists, cameras, photographers annoying radio people like me hustling for a position is there are hundreds of people they're ready to scream at anybody who walks out or in or out of the door yeah so so if you're getting invited in to see the prime minister in his commons office on reshuffle day uh, you know you're about to be handed the pole hand handled revolver uh, and a stiff whiskey um so so fine and then then the prime minister leaves having done uh, all the you know thank you but conversations uh, and then goes back to number 10 to invite people in to debate. Now, I mean, every circumstance is different. Sometimes, obviously, you'd have had some kind of initial, the chief whip probably would have had some initial soundings out. Uh, uh, with with Team Rishi, there were no jobs. I understand no jobs were offered during the leadership contest, so everybody would have been coming at this blind, although there was obviously an expectation that to stabilise the markets, Jeremy Hunt would be staying on as Chancellor. But apart from that, I think everybody thought you know everything was kind of up for grabs but um uh, how you handle a reshuffle uh entirely depends on your your position of strength if you like at the time with which you do it which brings me neatly to 
January 2018, uh, post-2017 general election from which Theresa May never was in a position of uh, strength within the parliamentary party. Um, and we had, you know, carefully constructed the, you know, the whiteboard and the reshuffle and what have you. And the whole thing came to a, a, a screeching halt because one of the first appointments we wanted was to move the then Education Secretary, Justin Greening, to DWP. Now, Justin Greening is a great social justice campaigner. Um, and I think there was an understanding or a thought process at number 10 that she would actually quite like this job because, uh, you know, DWP would allow you to sort of expand on your or your social justice campaign work. Uh, she refused to move. Uh, and in essence, uh, she kind of sort of hunkered down in number 10 for like two hours. And because reshuffles are, are like, you know, chess pieces in a, on a board, you can't. Until you've moved one person that frees up, you can't move the next. Mm. It's a sort of sequential thing. And so what should have been kind of done and dusted in a you know, well-oiled kind of reshuffle in a, you know, a few years ended up in a sort of you know, bit of a pile-up because, because she wouldn't move. And in the end, she quit. Um, and Jeremy Hunt, who forementioned Jeremy Hunt, uh, he also wouldn't move. Uh, we wanted to move him to Bayes. Uh, and he wanted to stay... Bees is uh, business, is it? I beg your pardon, yes. Uh, That's right. uh, <laughs> Department of Business and um, Energy and Industrial Strategy. So he wanted to move to Bayes. Uh, he wouldn't move. He wanted to stay at the Department of, of Health. And he wanted to change the name of the Department of Health and bolt it on and make it a bigger kind of portfolio where it focused uh, on, on social care as well. So we are now running very, very far behind on our well-oiled reshuffle. <laughs> Um, uh, which the media obviously have noticed. Um, and then uh, I think this story has been reported, so I don't think I'm, I'm talking out of turn. Um, uh, I think Brandon Lewis had been called to um, called to number 10, and he's, uh, he was already um, uh, in, a, in a car on the way up there, and he's thinking, oh, I wonder, I wonder what, I, what I might be getting. Maybe I'll be getting party chairman. And he looked at his phone just to see an announcement flash up from uh, CCHQ, which is Conservative Central uh, Office, saying, you know, congratulations, Chris Grayling has been appointed Conservative Party chairman. He's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not getting that oh, then. Oh, my word. Um, only for this, of course, to be a complete blunder. I don't, I've never really kind of understood how, how this ended up happening. But CCHQ have put out the wrong party chairman and that got taken down very quickly. And then... <laughs> You know, ten minutes later, a slightly confused Brandon Lewis is being offered the party chairman job. You know, it's all over in a minute. Um, and uh, I checked. I looked up botched reshuffle because I knew we were going to be talking about this, obviously, uh, to, to remind myself about this. And the and the day after uh, this, you know, quite sort of by today's standards, relatively decent reshuffle. But at the time, it was you know, like I say, widely reported as a botched reshuffle. Um, Brandon had to go on the media round the next morning to, to, to fly the flag for our well-oiled reshuffle. <laughs> um, and he was asked uh, whether the Tory party was in a mess, and he said, not quite. <laughs> not quite? <laughs> that was that, was the, official, later, was that, that the official line? 
no, I don't think that was the official line. <laughs> That's but, a very um, rare mistake from uh, from him, isn't it? On a indeed, he is a he is a brilliant media uh, media communicator, but um, uh, but not quite kind of summed it up. I think, and uh, when you think about what happened to the Conservative Party post 2018, this looks like the sort of halcyon glory days of reshuffles. <laughs> is it? Is yeah, it, well... Yeah. Is it awful as an advisor or a, a reshuffle day? Because there's just so many moving parts. There's a, a whole kind of communication thing to get right. There's, I don't know, if, for me, it feels like there must just be pressure from all sorts of very big personalities um, that you have to just juggle and balance and get right and i don't know that i mean that that's part of the art i get that but i just wonder if it's stressful or how it actually feels well, the media play a role in that for yeah, sure Callum. Yeah. you know my phone oh i will my phone is completely blowing up yeah because you know a lot of lobby journalists do have very close relationships with secretaries of state ministers departments uh and have their their own sources mm -hmm. and they are absolutely they're just chucking names at you just kind of because they're hearing all different things mm -hmm. and they're just chucking you know countless different names at you and countless different departments wanting you know like is this happening well i mean well i've heard i've heard so and so i've heard x i've heard y and then so there's that circus going on then there's actually a circus going on internally as well so you're just absolutely trying to kind of push back the tide of just mess. And that media thing is happening outside as well. So what, what, exactly. when you're stood on Downing Street or wherever, and there's a whole group of journalists, the, the messages go back and forth between journalists. Well, I'm hearing this. What have you heard? One of my, one of my favorite things to do is if somebody um, is rushed up the street in a car and they kind of pile out straight in the door of Downing Street, you've literally seen the back of their head. Some people have yeah. distinctive backs of heads. Wendy Morton, excuse me, <laughs> I, was about to, I was about to correct myself. That is actually her real name. I was about to use the very disparaging nickname for her, which I'm not going to lower myself and do. That is which her correct name. I can't remember now. But she was, <laughs> she was, of course, the chief whip. She has a very distinctive hairstyle, as does Jake Berry. He doesn't have any hair. And so you, you recognise these people. But otherwise, you then scramble over to the photographers who have been pointing their, their cameras at the door and in, in the car window. Who was that? Did you catch who that was? And you're, So everyone's hustling outside as well, trying to get information and get insight um it's interesting to hear that there is you know equally as large a circus going on on the other side of the door well, as well uh, yeah i mean the, the, i think my experience was quite uh, potentially unique in the sense that we were i mean we couldn't i mean we were when you're trying to arrange a cabinet amongst mass resignations yeah you're almost just trying to find the numbers who will say yes <laughs> like the game of chess becomes less about or oh, are they right for that job or you know is that going to annoy so and so it's more kind of can we actually just get <laughs> there someone to do it? <laughs> yeah. And that's when, obviously... You were nearly foreign secretary, weren't you, Oscar, at one point? <laughs> <laughs> you, you have no idea how many smarmy journalists made that same oh, joke sorry. on the day, Oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> sorry, I apologise. That's no, all good. I've processed it now. It's all fine. <laughs> but no, so that, that then feels completely... I mean, I think, you know, rearranging chairs on the Titanic, really. Mm. Um, we nearly got there, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we got very close to getting a a a a a, 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 a functioning government. <laughs> well, a, a just about legitimate cabinet together that would have, I think, potentially bought Boris more time. But the cleaner walking down it. Downing Street, you dragged in, didn't want to do the job either. So <laughs> that was that, it. right? <laughs> it, it, we got we got very close. It really was the eleventh hour. Yeah. It really was. Um, but it just couldn't quite 
Amazing to hear. Happen. Do you and Kirsty? Do, do you consider that twenty eighteen reshuffle a success, despite the um, difficulty in 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 getting through it with with Justine Greening staging assists in, etc. I think it was indicative of the time and indicative of our weak position. You know, reshuffle. All reshuffles do is, uh, you know, again drain your goodwill, drain your kind of power uh, bucket, if you like. So you know, people end up on the back benches again. You've created enemies. Sometimes people are, you know, have hoped that they'll get a promotion to a certain post, and they're disappointed that they haven't. So, they. I mean, I. I'm trying to think of a reshuffle recently where people went, do you know what? That reshuffle was absolutely brilliant and it Lawless. went really well. I okay. just I just can't remember them. Tony Blair's, I can remember a couple of Tony Blair's were kind of uh, heavily criticised. I mean, not by today's standards, obviously, but, you know, were heavily criticised and, you know, people don't want to move in stage sit-ins and, you know, people walk out, etc. They don't. Because people are human, you know, politicians are human, you know, they get disappointed, they get upset, um, and all you've done is create, you know, you, you may have made you know, a few friends along the way, but you'll have created a whole bunch of other people that have ended up back on the back benches again. Mm. So, uh, look, I think, you know, and, and if you're in a strong position as a Prime Minister, you can afford that. If you're in a weak position, you can't. I mean, just to kind of put it in perspective on the on the reshuffle that, um, that Liz Truss uh conducted when she became prime minister which all those uh, years ago all <laughs> those years ago way back when it can hardly remember i was about to say when it was still warm but it's probably about as warm as it still yeah, is yeah. um uh you know she you know she again i think ill-advised in the sort of level and the scale of the of the of the cult because they behaved as if they had earned the 80-seat majority that they had simply inherited. They kind of crossed the road to make a lot of unnecessary enemies. And in a Conservative parliamentary party of 356 MPs, just to put this in perspective, by the end of, like, 12 years in office, on the back benches after Liz Truss' uh, reshuffle, there were 119 former ministers sat there. Mm. Now, a lot of these wow. ministers will think, well, that's it for me, you know, I'm never getting back into, you know, government again... And, you know, where, you know, what's in it for me to be disciplined? What's in it for me to take one for the team? Because I'm not getting up the, you know, going up the career ladder anymore. I'm on the way out and down. And now I need to look after my seat and, you know, do what my constituents want me to do rather than what the prime minister wants me to do. So uh, it is a, you know, it is a power struggle and a power play. Uh, and you can, you know, if you over tip it, it can become problematic. And the job gets harder and harder now for the government because they have been in power for so long. There are, you know, the, the Conservative Party is a really broad church as it is in terms of interests and style of Tory politician. But on top of that, another layer is there have just been so many cabinets formed over the years. You know, there's so much baggage there and there are, that's just an, a whole new layer that each time you form a cabinet, there are more people. There, there are more people. That there, you kind of have more decisions and less at the same time. It's, uh, that might not be a very articulate way of putting it, but it does become more difficult. And actually, it gets to the point. And and I think you know the public would look at what's gone on over the last you know period of time, and it, it looks almost farcical because you know you have people who have been secretaries of state for a matter of days, mm. and whilst. <laughs> 
so, so you get into a situation where you go, well, who actually would be, just take the politics out of it as much as you can, who would actually be the best education secretary mm. or, you know, the best home secretary? I mean, I think a lot of normal people uh, <laughs> who get bored of the po political kind of merry-go-round, that's how I think most people believe a government should be formed. Just yeah. who's going to be the best person to do that job? And it's very disappointing to have to tell listeners that, you know, we've just had this whole conversation that actually, in terms of, like, criterion, is, is quite low down, I would say, in terms of how they are eventually formed, mm -hmm. which probably isn't right, but... It's, but it's, that is the insight. That is the insight that we like and that we are into on Whitehall sources. Um, a really, really fascinating understanding there then of how a reshuffle works. Uh, perhaps where Suella Braverman's particular appointment may still cause problems as well. Uh, lots to consider then on uh, this week's podcast. Thank you, Kirsty. Thank you, Oscar. Um, lovely to uh, speak to you both. And hopefully, I mean, famous last words, but hopefully things have calmed down a little. I think I've said this at the end of every episode we've done. Yeah, now. leave us alone, Callum. <sighs> Honestly, these poor guys, I pop up in the WhatsApp group chat basically every day. When can we do the next one? Are you guys available today? Uh, how about today? In an hour's time? Anyway, there we are. Thank you. Uh, that's lovely. That's what you get on Whitehall Sources. Insight from those who have advised actual prime ministers on all of these things that you may be familiar with at a surface level in the news, but this gets you behind the door of number 10. Make sure you follow and subscribe, press the button, make sure you're here for next week's episode as well, because we can't wait to speak to you then. And in the meantime, email your thoughts, your predictions, what might happen, what might not happen, your analysis as well. Anytime we will feed that in, uh, you can email hello at whitehallsources.com. Uh, that just brings us then to the correspondence unit. We've just got a couple of minutes for this this week. Um, basically, I want to read through some of Kirsty's uh, fans. Basically, the fan mail on on uh, on TikTok is my <laughs> is my plan for the correspondence unit this week. Let's open the doors. Let's have a little look. I'm going to just jump in to, well, Kirsty's latest viral success, which is, as I click into TikTok, still going even more viral. It's astonishing. Uh, here we are. Lots of comments on here. It was about, this was about Rishi Sunak. Uh, he didn't want to have his name in the media, he just wanted to get on with the job. Um, Naima on TikTok says, Well done uh, to this brilliant lad. To be a, he's going to be a brilliant Prime Minister of this country. Uh, Craig says, I don't have much faith in politics, but hey, good luck to him, and hopefully he might do some good for the UK. This is what I mean by this. This in particular seems to have instilled some sense of stability and optimism this week. Um, maybe even people on here who dislike his policies are kind of saying for example k i really hope he succeeds we need to stop attacking him before we see his actions and give him a chance which i think is interesting um yg on tiktok great to hear something so positive and good about the new pm uh and this person says i wonder whose silly advice he took to appoint braverman no, no one. No one's biting at that one. Well, I, I was going to say, what, what's an interesting theme that's getting picked up there is actually people just want a normal government yes. for a bit. And actually, Rishi, and the reason I say it, because it's not a particularly interesting point to make, but the reason I said that is I thought the Times front page today, I was kind of, I almost had to sit down because it was about kind of education reform. Mm. And it was like policy and ideas. And it just felt like for a moment, normal issues and politics were on the front pages again and that's what his success will be and i think that's what a lot of people who aren't just party political 
will want and hope. And actually, his, how he'll judge his success, I think, over the next few months will be keeping politics off the front pages. Well, can I can I leave you with this this thought then? Assuming that Braverman, you know, as we as we think potentially the kind of momentum goes out of the current controversy and Braverman continues as Home Secretary, there is coming down the pipe really quickly a f looming flashpoint between Braverman and the Prime Minister in any event, um, and it was part and parcel, I understand, of the row that Braverman had with Liz Truss, mm -hmm. which was around immigration. Now, Liz Truss wanted to um, uh, have more uh, education and, you know, study visas and work visas for uh, for Indian uh, incomers as part of the trade deal, the free trade deal that Britain is hoping to secure with the Indian government right now. This is a massive, massive trade deal. It will be worth something like 100 billion by the end of the decade. It will be doubling what our trade is with India at the moment. Mm. And she hoped, and obviously you can understand why uh, Liz Truss was very keen on getting this over the line, uh, and you therefore can understand her dismay when, when Braverman, I think unprompted, said that she had great reservations about relaxing visa restrictions uh, around sort of study visas and work visas for, for Indian people, and that you know, she uh, wide, had wider reservations about relaxing immigration per se and wanted to bring the target back to that uh, much discussed and unloved policy of, of tens of thousands cap. Mm, so mm. at the very time that Liz Truss was trying to drive home this, you know, Brexit dividend big trade deal with India, um, uh, Braverman was sort of putting the torpedo tubes under it. That deal is still on the table. There is still obviously a hope, you know, a very, you know, very strong hope um, from the new Prime Minister that that can get signed and sealed very quickly. But with Braverman... Uh, as Home Secretary, this is going to cause the Prime Minister a real problem because, you know, unless she's had some sort of damaging conversion in the last last week, she's still going to be very resistant to what it is that the Indian government is asking for to get this massive bilateral trade deal over the over the over the line. So uh, they might yet fall, you know, fall foul of each other in any event, even if the current troubles subside. And we will be here to analyse every single bit of it. You will be pleased to hear. Uh, thank you for being with us on Whitehall Sources this week. Uh, subscribe and follow. Tell your friends. Leave us a little review if you've got a couple of minutes as well. That would be lovely. And you can email anytime and we will feature you in the correspondence unit when we open the doors on our next episode. Uh, email hello at whitehallsources.com. And until then, goodbye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>